Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined about half the time by... Dustin Schutte. Dustin, you on Twitter? Nope. <laughs> and I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. This is week three uh, of the Big Ten football season and all of college football. Um, I thought it was a pretty, pretty fun week two. Dustin, how, how, is the college football season off to a fun start for you? It's off to a great start. The reason being is because for the first time in like seven or eight years, I was at a live college football oh, right. contest. I was in the swamp watching Kentucky just eviscerate Florida, but it was a really fun game for a couple quarters. Got to tailgate, drink some beers, uh, enjoy the atmosphere, 90,000 deep, got really loud. Um that's the first time I've been able to do that in a long time. So it restored my like passion for college football. So now I'm even more fired up, man. Good for you. Um, being a, I don't think you're neither a Florida or Kentucky fan, correct? So no. did you have fun sitting back watching the Florida fans implode while watching their home team get beat? I mean, I got to assume that's some enjoyment you derive from that. They were so loud and obnoxious. Uh, it was amazing. But the best part, I have to admit, was the was the drive home. We listened to the call-in show. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, just everybody – like, they were trying to compare Billy Napier to Nick Saban. Like, Florida deserves to have a winning program. I'm like, the dude is two games in. Let's. One guy was like, I'm depressed. I'm like, oh, boy. This, <laughs> this, this is off the rails yeah. quickly in SEC country. Yeah, well, they could have probably uh, compared call-in shows at Florida, Iowa, and Nebraska, you know, and probably just put them together. I don't know if you'd have been able to tell much of a difference. Uh, speaking of, of Nebraska, how about that for a segue? Um, you know, the college, we, we all know the co the coaching search is on. Um, there's a lot of Nebraska fans putting, you know, the, the different, you know, uh, uh, signs of where you're at on the coaching search, you know, rumors. Uh, flight trackers, stuff like that. I mean, right now we are just firmly in the, you know, coaching lists being put out on who would be uh, a candidate for the job. Then Nebraska fans saying, no, this guy is the job. Other fans saying, there's no way you're going to get that guy, you know, for your job. It's been fun all week. I don't know how much of that you, you've been able to catch. I haven't caught much of it. Really surprising that uh, Nebraska fans are uh, this this attached to it. I just it's I can't believe that they're this involved with the coaching search, right? Um, but, but it's it's kind of like this is going to sound really weird, but it's almost like a fun thing to do because there you have hope now for the future, right? Yeah. Like you you've got to you've got to change. So in a weird way, even though you maybe well you they probably are at this point happy that he got fired, uh, but at the same time it's like. You can go out and get anybody. It's like the preseason. We're zero and zero. We're going to go fifteen and zero win the national championship. It's like a new, new a breath of fresh air. I got to think it is. I mean, we'll get into that here pretty quick when we when we uh, talk about the game because I got to think the players are feeling the same thing. Uh, one of the things that that still I I hear discussed and and debated is why didn't they wait? You know, just a couple more weeks save the seven point five schmill. Uh, good listener of the podcast, uh, Jeremy Talcott. I mean, he had a good theory, and I guess I've heard it a couple more times since then. But um, I basically the theory is Trev wanted Scott Frost gone from his head coaching role for quite some time. I think there's 
enough proof to say that he was interested in it ending last year. Uh, pressure from outside sources, who know? So, you know, the restructured contract happened. That gets us all the way into Georgia Southern. After that, with losing to Georgia Southern, essentially what Jeremy's theory is, he was afraid that Nebraska would beat Oklahoma, essentially, possibly win the next two games, Indiana, Rutgers. Suddenly, he's at four and two, I think it would be, and three and two, whatever it would be. Um, um, yeah, and and it would be four and two. And be nervous, you know, that essentially that would be enough to get the steam going and then he would keep his job and there would be more pressure at the end of the season. I don't know what you think about that. I think it's somewhat of an interesting theory. That is a really good theory. I, I love that theory. Like I, uh, I would have never in a hundred years, you could have asked me why they got rid of him right then. And I would have never come up with that because I'm thinking this whole time, the timing's strange, but at the same time, if you know, he's going to be done, Take the chance. And he's done. Just, yep. just Yeah, just take the chance. So, I, I mean, I, to me, I still think the timing's strange, but that adds a little bit more validity as to why they did it, especially if Trev wanted to make a change. Because I don't think you saw any, like, long-term right. future for the program. It was maybe you yep. get to a bowl game this year, but that was about the extent of it, in my opinion. Yeah, and then listening to uh, some Nebraska podcasts and people that were at the game, uh, the mood was – wasn't maybe somber it was just plain mean you know like people had collectively had enough and that was kind of the you know general consensus on memorial stadium you know it, i think if you take some of that stuff into perspective it makes a little bit more sense on why trev made the albeit hard but the decision that had to be made um and then moving into you know the coaches that are getting thrown out there right from the get-go uh mr campbell uh from from iowa state Boy, he he seems to be the one that got the most uh, 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 he, uh, fanfare. No, I should I shouldn't say fanfare. Fanfare means that the Nebraska fans are on board. That's probably not it. It's just more internet people are saying it, and yeah. then certain. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, journalists, broadcasters, they they just seem to love him. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that situation? I mean, I wouldn't replace – this year aside, I would not replace a head coach who couldn't beat Iowa with another head coach who can't beat Iowa. I mean, I <laughs> – well, like, got, got the one. Yeah. I know it went – I know it went poorly this year, but that took that, – like that – it took an epically bad Iowa offense for him to barely beat the Hawkeye – to score a touchdown in Kinnick Stadium as we right. talked about last time. So right. I, I just don't think there's the – there's the idea that Matt Campbell has done some great things at Iowa State. I don't disagree with that. There's also the idea that he's underperformed with some of his better teams. So I'm not sure how good of a head coach Matt Campbell truly is. Like, I think he's the perfect guy at a place like Iowa State. I don't think he's built for Nebraska. I think that is a very intelligent take. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, I still think he'd be a step up at head coach from Scott Frost. Right. Uh, but you know what? Let's give Mickey Joseph a little bit of time here. I I'm kind yep. of a half Mickey fan, you know, like, uh, like I heard some interviews. Like I like that guy. I still think Dave Aranda would be the number one choice. That was a debate. I got in yeah. with a fan. I don't even know who it was. They thought I was a Nebraska fan, but I think they can get a guy like Dave Aranda and, and name Matt rules. Another name that you hear um, maybe Luke Fickle too. I, I, people think that's crazy, but in each case you're going from, a conference that is going to be financially strapped 
into the Big Ten, yeah. obviously with Nebraska, where there's going to be plenty of money. I'm just saying people are making wild assumptions both ways. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch this thing play out a little bit. Can I, uh, I'll add one more quick point, uh, one more name into this, but we don't know how good he's been as a head coach. Washington's Kalen DeBoer, I feel like would be, I don't know that he would take a third job in three years, third head coaching job, but that is a guy you talk about exciting. He, he did well at Fresno state. He's got Washington. We'll talk about Washington a little bit later, but that's a guy that I think I think he's a star, going to be a star in, in college football. That was that's a name that at the end of the season maybe maybe hear some some rumors about. I really like that. That was that was a great poll right there, DS. We'll see how that uh, that kind of transpires. Uh, speaking of the coaching search, one guy that I don't think is going to go to Nebraska uh, is Bob Stoops, but yet somehow he found himself in the media this week, uh, which transitions to. Sadly, Iowa's offense, which I mean, like my brother and I were talking, uh, Hawkeye fan, obviously, um, in a week where Texas almost beat Alabama, right? That should kind of be the, you know, the the aftershock that you see all throughout Twitter. No, I, I, I swear I read more stuff on how horrible the Iowa offense is, even more than that Texas-Alabama classic with, that even had, you know, bad refereeing in it. And uh, how is Bob Stoops attached? I'm sure pretty much everybody listening to this podcast probably knows by now. He got catfished. I think that's the term we can go ahead and use here, uh, where somebody used the the app Cameo, thinking that he was recording something for a random person named Brian in the family business, only to use it against him uh, to to make fun even more of Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa offense. I don't know, man. It's it's the year 2022 and college football. You never know what the heck you're going to see coming and, and next. You know what even makes this a little bit funnier is didn't Bob Stoops like just a few years ago serve as an honorary captain captain for an Iowa football game? Like absolutely. With those guys. Oh, dude. I mean, uh, Bob Stoops is still a huge Hawkeye fan. Even when he was at Oklahoma, his kids would say go Hawks every morning. He's oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, him and Kirk are great friends. Um, he'll be a Hawk till he dies. You know, not that he doesn't have, uh, you know, a lot of Oklahoma ties to it himself as well. I mean, obviously he does. Um, he also went on record, you know, once he heard about it, making it clear that he had no yeah. idea that he was being duped. And in fact, if you believe what he said, this was recorded two or three weeks ago. So before the season even started, before the Iowa offense was, uh, we, we assumed it wasn't going to be good, but we didn't think it was going to be this bad. So somebody right. really premeditated this gag. I guess you got to give him respect, but at the same time, yikes. I, right. I mean, somebody that here comes the want, want dad jokes. He, he got stooped, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Very good. Very good. All right. I think we got more time to talk about the Iowa's offense, sadly, uh, when we get into the breaking down the game. So we're going to break it down the game. Should we go ahead and do that right now? That sounds great. All right. We have got 13 big games this week with Kurtz, Illinois, fighting a lot sitting idle at two and one and feeling pretty good at 13 games. We've got this broke down just about as good as you can do it. Five early, four in the afternoon and four in the evening. So that's good to see. So let's start with one that's got a little bit of pizzazz to it. If I do say so myself, the 
two and zero number six Oklahoma Sooners coming into Lincoln to take on the one and two newly led Nebraska Cornhuskers. This is an eleven o'clock a.m. game on Fox, so this is Fox's big noon game. Line Sooners by eleven and a half. Over under 67, so that means Vegas is saying something like 38 to 27 Sooners. DS, wouldn't it be so college football if Nebraska won this game? It would be, uh, and especially considering the fact that they're like, I, I almost, after you guys said this after week one, I almost trust Frost more with their offensive play calling than I do Mark Whipple. Um, so that's a huge red flag to me heading into this game. But to me, I, I mean, I'm not going to be breaking any news here when I say, I just want to see how this team comes out of the tunnel, comes out of the gate. Are they going to, this is going to go one of two ways. Either they're going to fight like hell to get a win for Mickey Joseph and, and overcome all, all the negative talk, all the outside noise, or they're going to get beat 45 to three. I, I don't know that there's any in between here. Um, Interesting. That like, so it's a feast or famine situation I, that's, to you. That's how I feel. Like I think I don't think there's going to be um, one of these middle of the road type of games. Like I just, first of all, I think Nebraska's got way too many question marks defensively. I know Oklahoma. This led by Dylan Gabriel. This isn't your typical Oklahoma. We're going to score sixty point type of offense. I think they're better defensively, a little bit worse offensively. Yeah. But the the Huskers can't stop anybody, man. And yeah. I don't know. I. I think that continues this week. Yeah, you're hitting on a lot of this stuff. I would say there's there's a couple more outcomes available to me than than to you. It's hard for me to see Nebraska just running away with it, right? But yeah. I honestly I I could see Nebraska winning it by a touchdown or something like that. Um I could see it a very close game that either team wins and I could see, you know, Oklahoma just just pulling away with it. You do hit on the two concerns that I have. So we've got, uh, with Frost leaving and Mickey Joseph coming in, again, Mickey Joseph has said all the right things in the press conference. I I think the type of coach that Nebraska needs right now is Mickey Joseph, a guy that cares, yeah. you know, used to play quarterback there, but a grinder, you know, like he he's a, and he's a disciplinarian. I mean, in the offseason, he was yeah. talking about the lack of discipline with his wide receivers, which was probably his way of saying there's a lack of discipline all across the board. You can tell already he is, you know, putting the shackles on this thing. I, it's probably an overused statement on the pod, but will Nebraska quickly look like their poop is in a group here? Like simply because of the different voice and because, you know, that 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 shroud of darkness that has been over yeah. this program for, I think at least a year or two it's lifted now. Like it's got to feel like, you know, the, like they've been waiting and waiting to, 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 to go to right. the bathroom and they finally got it out. Now they can exhale and play. Like, I really think that is something that could play into this game. I do too. The thing I'm going to be most interested in is if this game is close in the fourth quarter, I never got the sense. And I think, when you have a lot of close losses, I feel like this backs up my point. I never got the sense that Scott Frost trusted his players or that his players believed he trusted wow. them to get a win. I think Mickey Joseph can instill that trust. So if Oklahoma doesn't come out and run away with it, and this is a close game, yes, I'm going to be very interested to see how this team responds because I think, I think I go back to, 
I know we're the start. Away, the start I, of this game is huge. It's like, key. Absolutely huge. If you go back to that Illinois game week zero, 2021, and Scott Frost said, we can't have this be the same movie. It wasn't a comment like, this is just one game. It's early in the season. We had a lot of things. Like, it was basically, I have no faith in these guys to get it done. And I think that that's why they lost so many one-possession games figuring it out. So if it is a one-possession game or if it's a close game coming down to the wire – very interested to see what the yes. mentality is, what the play calling is. I think that's a hidden aspect of this game if it's close. I, I tell you what, man. I mean, you are hitting on all the things on why I find this game infinitely more interesting now than I yes. did before the frost. Okay, I, before the frost firing. Okay, I I didn't know if that made me weird. Uh, we're, we're probably and, and rightfully so getting Nebraska fans excited. The, the bad stuff is this. Actually, you know what? I'll add a little bit more to the Nebraska excitement. I don't think Oklahoma is that good. I do not think, I mean, it was, they were down three to nothing to Kent State until right at the end of the first half and Oklahoma scored to make it seven to three. And then they, they pulled away. The offense looks okay. Dylan Gabriel looks okay. The defense looks better under uh, Venables, which you would expect, but it, it doesn't look, you know, like an iron curtain. So like, this is a extremely gettable top, you know, 10 ranked team, by the way. How crazy would it be if Mickey Joseph pulls this off? It would be the first top 10 win for Nebraska, and I believe it's seven years. <laughs> so, you know, and obviously Scott Frost never touched that. So another thing that would just be so college football about it. So there are the positives, the negatives. One of them you kind of already touched on. One person that I am probably think is nervous about the coaching change is Anthony Grant, the Nebraska yeah. running back. He has absolutely took off the last six quarters, second half of North Dakota, uh, the the entire game of Georgia Southern. But if we go back to the Whipple style of play calling, it might be better for Casey Thompson and the receivers, but I'm, I'm a little bit nervous for that rushing attack and, and, and how that's going to look overall for the Nebraska offense. One of the notes I made for this was, can we trust Mark Whipple to quote unquote, run the damn ball? Right. Cause I, I don't, I don't know if we can. So, I don't think we I can. Mean, it did that, not look, look no. at, look at, how much Northwestern struggled to stop the ball versus Duke. And I mean, and he couldn't get the rushing attack going against Northwestern, you know? Right. Like, and again, like I said, on the, on the frost podcast, I think it was, um, you don't just call the plays that frost used to call. And that's how it's done. It's not a video game. There's nuances to setting up plays as an offensive coordinator. All that went out the door with, with frost when he left. So, I am so intrigued to watch the first half of this game, the whole game, hopefully, and to see how this works out. All right, we we talked a lot about this. Yeah. This is a very intriguing game. Go ahead, you get you you give me your prediction first. All right. So all that being said, <laughs> they're gonna kill me. Uh, I am picking Oklahoma thirty four, Nebraska thirty. So another one possession loss for the Huskers. Uh, so at uh, that is a Nebraska cover, and at 64, that is under the 67. All right. The funny thing is I got hit up four or five different times by people saying, I can't wait to see your prediction on this game. And each time I said, give me your prediction. I'll probably use it. I got no clue what's going to happen in this game. After a while, I just settled into, I think there's enough there that Nebraska will score points. Um, I don't trust Oklahoma's defense, but I, I just don't trust – Nebraska's defense either and how poetic would it be that even with the coaching change there's still a one score loss so I've got Oklahoma 38 
Nebraska 30. We are very close to our prediction. <laughs> yeah. That is hilarious. We're both all over the board, but we wound up very close. And at 68, I'm a I'm a point over. I, I love the over at one point, but man, this is this this game screams stay away in every single yes. situation for me. So all right, moving on to the next game. The one and two UConn Huskies at the two and oh number four ranked Michigan Wolverines. This is the eleven o'clock AM game on ABC line Wolverines by 47. So at last week, it was the biggest spread in Michigan history at 51. And then they come right underneath it the next week after at 47. The over-under is 60, which means Vegas is saying 55 to 6 Michigan or somewhere around there. I got to think, as Michigan fans, they're about done with the blowout games. Like These have got to be getting somewhat boring at this point. Yeah, I would think so. But the uh, the one thing I think that you can live with in these blowout games is I, I watched, I went back and rewatched that Hawaii game, and I know it's Hawaii, and I know it was Colorado State. There might be a new Heisman Trophy candidate in the Big Ten not named C.J. Stroud. Wow. I, I think J.J. McCarthy is that good. Like, I, I want, uh, obviously, I want to see him against some better defenses, but man, does he throw a pretty ball. He's and he's an athlete too. I mean, yes. they barely they didn't have to run him last week versus Hawaii. The that zone keeper at the quarterback that is available all the time. Um, I think I saw in a in a chat group he's up to fifth in the Heisman voting odds right now. Oh wow! So somebody in Vegas is looking at the same stuff you are, and it's funny. That's what I got down on my on my notes here is like I fully expect the Michigan defense. Like, there's going to be 25 guys that are going to get tackles. There might be 25 guys that get tackles behind the line of scrimmage, right? It, it, it So, like, there's not much to pick out defensively. Offensively, you know the offensive line is going to look great. All eyes are on J.J. McCarthy to see what he does again. And that's a recruiting thing. That's a bring yes. eyeballs to the TV set thing. I mean, that is what those five-star type of quarterbacks have to be. And, and not to get this thing going too much, but, like, Kurt and I talked in the offseason about if you're going to win a national title, it typically takes that type of quarterback or something elite. Georgia had an elite defense last year, but most of these teams have had uh, a five-star amazing quarterback. If J.J. McCarthy can keep showing us that that's who he is, it's something to watch. I was just going to say, what's the one thing that we've talked about and begged Jim Harbaugh to get? It's an elite quarterback and see what Michigan can do. I think he's got, like, I think Cade McNamara is a great, I don't like to use the term game manager, uh, but he's not J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy, to me, is next level, and I'm excited to see what Michigan can do with it because they have not had a quarterback like this. Totally agree. With that being said, no reason to get the guy hurt. I don't think they're going to run up the score. I think you already saw that last week. They had the game in hand early, shut it down early. So I think we're going to get something like that again. I've got Michigan 49 UConn seven. Uh, so that's technically a UConn cover. And at uh, 56 points, that's just a shade under the 60 to- game total. So I've got Michigan 52, UConn 10. So uh, that's a UConn cover. And at 62, that is a slight over. Wow. Okay. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. Next game up the 0 and 2 Southern Illinois Salukis. Do you know what a Saluki is, Dustin? 
I assume it's a dog because that's her mascot. <laughs> there you go. It's a dog. Yeah, I honestly didn't know. All right. Uh, played at the 1-1 one one Northwestern Wildcats, 11 o'clock a.m. game on Big Ten Network. No line. This is uh, FBS on FCS. So Northwestern, they need a bounce back win here, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I have uh, – here's here's what's weird. As I was going through and kind of been watching games, doing you know some studying – I feel like I was in like some sort of time capsule or something that sent me back to an era I'm unfamiliar with because I'm looking at the Northwestern offense and thinking, okay, I really don't have any concerns about the Northwestern offense. I need to see something from the Northwestern defense. <laughs> uh, and I like Ryan Holinsky has been really good. I think they've got a nice one, two punch, not great, but a, a nice one, two punch with Evan Hole and Cam Porter out of the backfield. Um, I just want to see who's like outside of, Coco Azuma at the defensive back and and uh, I can never pronounce his name the Adabaware defensive lineman like I don't see a lot yeah. of big time yeah. playmakers defensively so I need I want somebody to step up on the Northwestern defense I think the offense as surprising as it sounds is just fine yeah I mean this is crazy you expect the offense to to put up points you don't expect the defense to stop anybody and they're kind of making having a lot of penalties and turnovers you know like. Speaking of dogs, this is dogs sleeping with cats, mass hysteria stuff going on. When Northwestern <laughs> looks like this, it weirds me yes. out to no end. I have got to think that in this game, Pat Fitzgerald is going to be like the number one focus will be to get stops on defense and to try to get a little bit of confidence going on the defense. I think they'll kind of get there. Yeah. We don't really have a line. I don't think this is going to be a particularly – Great looking football contest, but I got Northwestern 34, the Salukis 17. Yeah, I've got Northwestern. This sounds like a very Northwestern score. I've got Northwestern 29, Southern Illinois 13. <laughs> I like it. I mean, we're pretty much predicting the same thing, and that's that's a good thing to probably expect. So next up, staying at 11 o'clock a.m., uh, this is the 2-0 Western Kentucky Hilltoppers at the 2-0 Indiana Hoosiers. Is on BTN line Hoosiers by six. All right, over under sixty two. So Vegas is saying something like thirty five to twenty eight Hoosiers. Yeah. So for me, I want to see two two things. I have a question on number one. We saw a glimpse of some successful run game six point six yards per carry last week against Idaho. That's what Indiana should do against a team like Idaho. They didn't do it in two thousand twenty one. So positive. The other thing is we have not seen Connor Bazelak play well for a full 60 minutes yet. I want to see more consistency out of him because if he's not consistent against Western Kentucky, they're probably not as explosive as they have been in the past, but for some reason they always play Indiana really well. Yep. So if he's not good for 60 minutes, they could lose this game and, and fall to two and one. Yeah. I got the same points here again. You know, Tommy Allen is going to want the defense to look better. I still think he wants to lean on the rushing attack. So shifty Sean Shivers, I think they're going to want to get him going. All right. Um, he looked good last week. I think they're going to, they're going to want to keep that going. By the way, look at Western Kentucky. This is not your slightly older brothers. Hilltoppers. They're actually a little bit better defensively, defensively. than they are yeah. offensively. What? I mean, them in Northwestern have like trade souls here or something like that. In my mind, okay, that is the game that I'm I'm looking at here. Um, I think the public, and by this line, I think they're still thinking this is like the Indiana Hilltoppers type of game where it's a shootout that we saw. I think it was 
I think it was just last year. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of different game. Okay. Like, I think this is going to be a game that's, that's shortened down. Okay. Decent offense, but sporadic for both teams, but not enough that it's going to light up the scoreboard. So I've got Indiana 27, Western Kentucky 23. So that is a slight cover for Western Kentucky. And at 50 points, that's 12 points under the game total. And that's my Amador double barrel lock of the week. Wow. I like it. Uh, we do not see the same game in this one. Um, I It's probably because, honestly, I can't get out of my mind that it seems like every time these two teams get together, it's a shootout. And I agree with your points. I think Western Kentucky is better defensively. I think Indiana had some concerns in that game against Idaho. I don't know if it was focus. I don't know what it was. I'm going to be really interested to see what the defense does after Tom Allen had no voice and ripped into him at halftime after the game and all week at practice. When does he so, have a uh, voice? I've never heard him talk with full throat. Great in, point. <laughs> Side point is like, he's like a locomotive. Like he starts off like just kind of chug a chug a chug. And then once he gets a full steam ahead, he is not stopping until he gets <laughs> to the next, until he gets to the next station. Uh, I have Indiana winning 38 to 30. So that is an Indiana cover, and at 68, that's a pretty healthy over. Wow, yeah, we are completely different. We'll see who's closer on this one. That's something fun to look out for. All right, our last game of the noon, a.k.a. 11 o'clock time uh, time slot. Dude, this is a sneaky, sneaky good game. The the one-and-one Purdue Boilermakers at the 2-0 Syracuse Orange into that into that nasty ass carrier dome 11 o'clock a.m game espn two line pick them how about that a pick them yeah. first one of the year over under is 58.5 so basically it's saying somebody's going to win this game 29 to 28 man what are we looking for here this this is a cool one yeah this is a good one um and the first thing i have on my notes and i'm i swear i'm not trying to fill in the big kurt role of fan who hates this team uh, but I, it just feels to me like a game that you look at that Purdue should win. And then they don't like, that's yeah. how it looks to me. Um, I think part of that is because Syracuse is a lot better than I thought that they would be this year. So I give credit to them. Um, number one question that I have is does Purdue have a receiver on the team, not named Charlie Jones, right? And can they get him the football? Uh, because I think all it takes is one team to zone in on Charlie Jones. And I've got, Produce receivers are never really a question, but will they have a second or third option on the road early in the season? If they take Charlie Jones away, I'm concerned a little bit about Purdue's ability to put up a lot of points. Chuck Sizzle. God, kill me now if I hear that again. But <laughs> I mean, he's looked great. You got I mean, there we we talked about it pretty quickly after the Penn State uh Purdue game that it was just shocking that. You know, that was the number one, two, and three target, it seemed like. So you bring up a good point. It's just that I always fall back on it's Aiden O'Connell and it's Jeff Brown. Right. And like, so the other side of this is I do think Purdue's defense is pretty good, but they had a big loss on their defense this week with an injury. So to me, I don't know if anybody's seen, but I looked up highlights real quick. Syracuse quarterback Garrett Schrader. He's a beast, man. Uh, five yes. passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, no picks. He's a passing threat. He's a rushing threat. Nobody saw this guy coming. He has been lighting it up. 
I think Syracuse is going to put points on the board. Okay. So that means Jeff Brom is like, well, screw it. Though if the whole point is to, you know, get points on the board, I think he's going to go ahead and get that done. I see a shootout in this game. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't see as much of a shootout. Uh, I mean, I think this game gets into the 30s, but I don't see it getting into the 40s or 50s. It certainly could. Um, the interesting thing to me, too, is I have Purdue's defense circled here, like, like you mentioned, uh, because in the first two games, uh, we're only two games in, but they haven't allowed 100 yards on the ground yet. And it's going to be, like you said, with, with Garrett Schrader. Um, and they've got a, a running back, Sean Tucker, who's leading the ACC in rushing yards through a couple games. So their defense is going to be really tested in this game so it's uh, this is this might be low-key my favorite game not just because i'm a purdue fan but because i have no idea what to expect yeah i put uh i put it out to, to uh vote on twitter this week i picked four games and said okay what's our game of the week i put this one on there i was hoping yeah. it actually got higher votes than it did it, it didn't get uh it didn't vote very high but this one is really interesting it doesn't sound like we see the same game again i'm gonna go ahead and go first because i'm interested in what you say I, I just, I guess I, I do have faith in Jeff Brom version. It's like 2.5. Um, yeah. He is pulling these games out. It seems like lately. I mean, Michigan state last year, Tennessee last year. I know not Penn state. Okay. That's, that's more recent. I get it. But, and, and the, and that, that hot carrier dome does make me a little bit nervous for uh, Purdue, been able to have, you know, signals, and get their offense going, but I, I just trust Purdue a little bit more. I've got Purdue 38, Syracuse 35, and at 73 points, I got that going way over the 58 to 59 total. So we're not terribly far off. Okay. I've got I've got Syrac I've got Syracuse 31, Purdue 30. Wow. So Syracuse wins, and at 61 points, that's still an over. But we're both predicting a pretty fun football contest to check yes, out. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Moving just into the afternoon at one o'clock Central Standard Time, the two and zero Rutgers Scarlet Knights at the one and one Temple Isles. This is on ESPN Plus. Might be a little bit tough to find for some people. Rutgers seventeen point favorites over under forty four. So Vegas is saying something like thirty to thirteen Scarlet Knights. Uh, Temple, uh, they're a gutty. <laughs> one and one got absolutely trashed by Duke. And then they beat a team that I did not know existed until I did my sheet. The Lafayette Leopards. They, they beat the Lafayette Leopards barely uh, in the second week. So anyways, what are we, what are we looking at here? Uh, for me, it's just, just do what you did against Wagner. If you're, uh, if you're Rutgers, I think you've got a really good one, two punch with Kyle Manungai and, and Al Shadi Salam out of the backfield, which both AKA, by the way, have a hundred. Slim Shady. That's that's what we're going with. For, oh, I like that. Because he's kind of skinny. Yep. Yeah, I like that. They both have, by the way, 122 rushing yards exactly and two touchdowns. So really nice balance there. Um, I think you just got to run it. I'd like to see. Uh, it looks like they might use Gavin Wimsett under center in the run game a little bit more. Um, and then Simon, when they're going to throw it, I, I've been impressed with their quarterback play. Just run the ball, get out of there with a win, and get to three and zero. I don't really have much because I think Rutgers. What we saw from them in Wagner was um, a game I didn't expect to, for them to just run up the score. So I think as long as you hand the ball off, don't make any big time mistakes. I think they're going to be just fine in this one. Go ahead. 
Go ahead, score. Oh, you let me go ahead with the score. Yep, yeah. Yep. Okay. I've got Temple 37, or uh, excuse me, Rutgers 37, Temple 10. So that is a Rutgers cover. And at 47, that is an over. All right. Um, Rutgers is better than I thought. Okay. Um, I still feel like they're, they're just kind of, you know, hodgepodge in this thing together. So I don't feel like it's a, a dominant team. Um, it's on the road. Okay. I, I'm just, I was surprised to see the line with this being a road game, not far. Okay. But still it's a road game. I think they need to lean more on Evan Seinman on Kyle Manungai and Slim Shady. I think they will do that. By the way, if this plays out like they're supposed to, this is three and zero for the second year in a row. That that's pretty amazing by Greg Schiano, yeah. especially when you understand where he took it over. I think they will get there. I've got Rutgers twenty eight, Temple thirteen, so that's just a slight cover for Temple. And at forty one points, I've got the under. The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel aging technique creates unique characteristics in each barrel that produces one-of-a-kind whiskeys. Amador is made to be sip neat or is perfect for classic bourbon cocktails. Just like your goat just like your favorite go-to Big Ten football podcast, Amador is the go-to whiskey this football season. Don't forget to hashtag ask for Amador. And check out our new website and finder options so you can find Amador near you at www.amadorwhiskeyco.com. Amador Whiskey Company, born in Kentucky, raised in California. DS, uh, the weird thing is when I tailgate, it is hard for me to imbibe too much because I'm usually driving a vehicle back and I've got, you know, dad duties when I get back to mom and dad. This Saturday, my friend, uh, I will just be down in the downstairs athletic club there will be a bottle of Amador next to me and there will be less Amador in that bottle at night than there will be to start the day. I can guarantee you that my friend. Yes. That sounds like the perfect Saturday, man. You're invited anytime. I just want me, you, you and Kurt, just so you know, anytime you want to work your way up here. All right. Moving into the afternoon, the O and two Colorado Buffaloes at the two and O Minnesota golden Gophers. This is a two 30 PM game. On ESPN2, line Gophers by 27.5 over under 46.5. Vegas is saying something like a 38-9 to Gophers win. DS, is this 2022's Is Inkapajit? Which, of course, is the inexplicable September non-conference PJ game. <laughs> you know what? I, I love, first of all, I love that uh, uh, that play there. Um, yeah. I don't think so. Like, no, I've, I've been waiting for it, but at the same time, Colorado, I, my note is Colorado is terrible. Keep rolling. Um, like I don't, this could, I don't have anything this, this to- could be the worst power five team. And actually I'll yes. say this, this is the worst power five team. And they're actually getting into the, that like 2018, 19, 20 Kansas range right now. Yes. They're so bad. They're yes. They're very bad. Um, Minnesota rolled them at Colorado last year. I don't think it's going to be any prettier. Um, I maybe just see, we're not going to see anything. I'm not even going to say it. We're, we're not going to see anything from the passing game. So we'll wait another week to see if we see more right. from Tanner Morgan. <laughs> and let me say, let me say this, like the general consensus among, you know, Iowa fans, Nebraska fans, Wisconsin fans, fans of programs that don't like Minnesota. Okay. Is well, they're not playing anybody. That's true. I mean, they have played some subpar uh, uh, opponents, but 
you don't look that good by being an average football team. Okay. This is a, this is a good football team. It is a extremely well-coordinated defense, a very efficient, good uh, rushing attack. Tanner Morgan, maybe not blowing your doors off right now, but there's enough pop in the passing game. Heck, even the special teams have been decent. You want to talk about how good things are rolling in Dinkytown. Long story short, yes, they are blowing teams out, but I I really believe it's because this is a good-looking football team. I think so, too. And like you said, we've, we've seen Minnesota not play or, or play down to the level of competition before through two games. We're not we're not seeing that. So yeah. I think that's a that's a positive take. Um, so for my score this week, I've got or for the, the Minnesota, Colorado, I've got Minnesota 44, Colorado six. That is a uh, Minnesota cover and at 47, that's an over. And with the points, that's my Amador double barrel lock of the week. All right. Um, we pretty much see the same thing. Don't take this personal Minnesota fans. I just feel like they're going to be asleep at the wheel. It's another, you know, afternoon kickoff. If this was like a night game, there'd be a little bit more juice. Maybe I think they're just going to sleepwalk through this game and they're still going to win it 31 to seven, but that's a Colorado cover. And at 38 points, that's, that's under the game total. All right, moving into the afternoon. Speaking of a team that's already gotten murdered by Minnesota, the 0-3 New Mexico State Aggies at the 1-1 Wisconsin Badgers. 2.30 p.m. game on Big Ten Network line. Badgers by 37.5, over under 46.5. So Vegas is saying 42-6 Badgers. All right, another cream puff uh, game. What are we looking at here? Yeah, uh, for the most part, I don't, we're not going to learn anything about Wisconsin this week. We know that. Um, but you've, I mean, that was the game against Washington state was one of the sloppier Wisconsin games. Yes. I remember watching in my, my life, the tackling was poor. They had ill-time turnovers penalties that I think they had 11 for over a hundred yards. Like they had was, five week one, 11 last week, yeah. and then three turnovers. That's about as anti Wisconsin football as you get. So to me, it's all about you're going to you're going to win this game. You better look good doing it because um, there's some good teams in the Big Ten West this year, uh, like there is every year. But if if Wisconsin to me right now does not look like a Big Ten West contender, I said that last year and they rolled off, what, seven or eight straight. and We're in it till the final week. But uh, that was a really sloppy game. So just clean that stuff up before you hit conference play. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the the players after the game and this week when they met the media saying the same thing, that's not what we want this to look like. This is a program that's got pride. I do think there's a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of weird juju going on inside the Wisconsin program. But man, New Mexico, <laughs> they, they are so bad. Uh, yeah. Jerry Kill is going to be like, that's enough. I had I had enough time in the Big Ten West when I was playing in the Big Ten West, Minnesota and Wisconsin, two out of the last three weeks. I don't need any more. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit more focus and and kind of a ticked-off Wisconsin. So let's have some fun with this, right? The score of the, the Minnesota-New Mexico State game was 38 nothing. So let's get Wisconsin 38, New Mexico State 0. The funny thing about that is that's a half-point cover <laughs> for Wisconsin <laughs> with 37.5 point. And it's under the 46.5. Quite honestly, I think I like that under 46.5 quite a bit. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, and we're basically seeing the same game, just a slight differential in the points. I picked Wisconsin 41, New Mexico State 
three. Nice. Uh, so that's a total of 44. And like you said, that's a half point Wisconsin <laughs> cover. All right. Next game up, the 2-0 Toledo Rockets at the 2-0 number three ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. This is moving into the evening, 6 o'clock p.m. on Fox Line. Buckeyes by 32 over under 61. So Vegas is saying 45 to 14. The Rockets uh, off to a pretty good start here. Looking good to beat UMass 55 to 10. And the week before that, won 37 to nothing over another team I had not heard of until I did my sheet. The Long Island Post Sharks. Did you even <laughs> know that team existed? I did not. <laughs> I had no idea. There you go. Anyways. Uh, wait, wait, we, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. The Long Island Post Sharks. So their yes. acronym is LIPS. <laughs> That's that is fantastic. They're the lips. There's got to be a T-shirt around campus with that, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to buy one of those. <laughs> if you find a if you find a Long Island lip shirt, man, let me know. I'll I'll take I'll take it in my size. I'll order one for you, me, and Big Kurt. Well, uh, <laughs> that is fantastic. That is amazing. All right. Uh, so, so what we're we looking at here. <laughs> Uh, so I, I did note, you know, statistically, Toledo's defense is the second best in the nation, allowing yeah. just uh, five points per game. Obviously, they have not played really anybody other than Lips. Um, I do, <laughs> I'm not going to get over that. Uh, I'm interested to see. There's been a lot of talk about the offense. I feel like it's one of those moments, though, where everybody in Columbus, because it's not a 56-point-per-game average, feels like the sky is falling. Yes. I think they're just fine. They haven't been with Jackson Smith and Jigba. They haven't had Julian Fleming. They might get both of those guys back, if not this week, in the near future. Um, it, to me, it's it's just get out of this this game healthy. But the one other thing I want to see from Ohio State, de- the de- defense undoubtedly improved. They've not forced a turnover in two yes. games. I want to yes. see a turnover. That's the big stat. No turnovers for the for the Buckeye defense. Um I just, I mean, I really am getting this feeling that this is the Buckeye team that we're seeing. I mean, we're we're two games in. Toledo's not horrible, okay? Um, right. Little little bit of a chip on their shoulder, you know, to get to play the the big boy in state. Uh, but I I just think this is a more complimentary, well rounded Buckeye team. It's a good thing, Buckeye fans. This is a compliment. Yeah. I I know that they Buckeye fans just got used to they're 63 to 28 wins. Like that probably feels more normal to them than a 40 to 10 win, you know, uh, but you're still winning by a lot. Um, I think that's who they are. Um, I, I don't see why you would rush JSN back. There's, there's really no need to Julian Fleming too. It sounds like they might play, but we'll see. Um, they've got guys going in and out of the secondary, not for injury, but because Jim Knowles, if he sees you do something dumb, he pulls you he, he puts you right. on the sideline and tells you why you're not playing because you know what? I've got another four or five star guy that's in the secondary or in the linebackers or, in the, you know, that could come in. Like that is an alpha male taking a stand in a room full of alpha males at Ohio State. I, I honestly like this is kind of becoming. I mean, I love the Justin Fields show, L- loved the Justin Fields show, but this is becoming a really kind of fun, somewhat unique Buckeye team to check out. I think so too, but but don't you get the sense that at some point, like I just get the sense at some point, maybe it's not going to look like it did with Justin Fields, but at some point it's just going to 
all snap together. And there is going to be a game or two down the road where they just put up 60 points on something. Yes. Like, I feel like at some point that's going to happen. Absolutely. And it could, it could very well happen this week. Um, I just don't think it will because, again, like tough to get up for this game. Right. It is a night game, you know, so that would help. Uh, third straight night game, I believe, for Ohio State. Um, I I just think this is a get the points on the board, you know, play some overall team football, but but get the heck out of there. So I've got Ohio State 45, Toledo 10. So I, I actually wound up taking Ohio State to cover that 32. I feel like that 32-point spread is is interesting. Like, I thought it would be higher than that. I would not scoff at anybody for taking Toledo in the points. And at 55, I actually think I like the under the best of all the things that you could play in this game. Uh, yeah, I have Ohio State 41, Toledo 10. So that is a Toledo cover. And at 51, that's quite a bit under that 61. I, I do like the underplay on this more than anything. I do, too. You got a one-point cover for Toledo. I mean, it's it's dancing <laughs> right around that 32. I'm with you there. All right, next game up, the 2-1 and one Nevada Wolfpack at the 1-1 one and one Iowa Hawkeyes. This is a 6.30 p.m. game on Big Ten Network line. Hawks by 23. 23 points. Okay. Uh, Over-under, 39.5. So Vegas is saying... 31 to seven. Um, I want to give a shout out here to uh, a guy named Tori Brecht with the Hawkeye report. Um, you know, you know me, I fancy a good analogy, right? Yeah. So he had, I thought a fantastic analogy for, for the current state of the 2022 Iowa Hawkeyes. He said the Hawkeyes are like a triathlete. That's the most amazing biker, like the best biker on the triathlete circuit extremely great runner fluid runner and then jumps in the water and drowns that 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 third <laughs> leg with that of course being the yes. iowa offense is that not fantastic that is spot freaking on yeah that is yeah. that is a fantastic analogy and again um, like I, not to go on it too much but I, it's just like when have you ever seen something be so good with the iowa defense and special teams and so like historically bad on offense it's just mind-boggling, DS. I can't, I, I mean, yeah, I can't, I cannot figure it out. And you know what's weird is, like, I was watching that Iowa State game uh, the other night, and I just kept thinking, if, even though Iowa's defense did shut them down, I felt like if Iowa had Iowa State's offense, they would have won that game, like, I don't know, 23-7? to seven. Correct. I yeah. felt like they had, they had a more, they were doing more things that Iowa should be doing with the athletes they have. So, with that, like I just, I still don't get why they're sticking with Spencer Petrus. The stat that they brought up, you may, you may know this. People may, may have watched the game and saw this, but I went back and looked, and it is correct. In the last eight games, one touchdown pass, nine interceptions. Like I, That's I, crazy. and he's and only uh, three of those games has he completed more than fifty percent of his passes. Those so here's the deal. I mean, it is. It is weird times for Hawkeye fans right now. Um, I, I don't want to talk through all of this because it, it just becomes an Iowa, you know, offense podcast again. And I, I certainly right. don't uh, intend it to be. But at the same time, I've been uh, accused of trying to run and hide from this. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I might not openly tweet on the ugliness because I feel like 
there's plenty of it out there on Twitter right now. I, I don't need to add to it, but this is a podcast and we'll talk about it a little bit, but like, I mean, DS, I love, I love Kirk Ferentz. Okay. Like he yeah. personally did a really nice thing for me. Okay. A long time ago, he says hi to my dad, you know, when he's at practice, like he's a good guy. We right. love him. I want him to figure this out. I, I very much do. But in the end, you get to the point where you sit there and you realize like, I'm a fan of the, of the Iowa Hawkeyes, you know, not the Kirk Hawkeyes. Like right. ultimately nobody <laughs> right. is bigger than, than a football program. You know, Scott Frost wasn't, isn't bigger than Nebraska. Right. Kirk Ferentz and Spencer Petrus are not bigger than Iowa football. Like wh when we get angry, it's because we, we want what's best for the, the program. And it's just, I can't fathom how, the starting quarterback that we've rolled out there is who they believe inside that locker room gives them the best chance to, to win. I mean, the stats you just went by, there's worse stats than that, that we could throw out the QBR oh, yeah. rating right now. And, and certainly the receivers that are gone, it's a huge loss. I mean, we are down to the nubbins here for, for pass catchers. I, I totally get that. I also understand there are available pass plays that are called, that mm -hmm. he's just he's just missing, and 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 at some point you just really get to the point where you're like, it can't look any worse under Padilla. So give it a shot, and if right. it does look bad, then maybe you go back to Petrus, and he's had some of the stress relieved from him. There you go. Here, here's the thing too that I keep coming back with, and it's not the play on the field. Kirk Ferentz did an incredible job after everything that happened in 2020, I believe it was, to get that team to rally, to get them to come together, cohesion, talking about a strong culture. If this continues to happen, I don't care how strong the culture is, there's going to be some finger pointing because the defense is exceeding its expectations. Special teams is exceeding the expectations. So I feel like that if that defense is on the field and, and they cannot score more than seven points consistently, there's going to be some finger pointing and things could spiral out of control. Now I'm not saying it's going to be like a, a massive, huge, you know, five-year problem, but it could, it could really hinder this season. It could hinder next season. Like I, you have to make a change because I think there's, you're on the verge of that happening after these two games when the defense literally did everything that they could right. to win those games. I mean, like, I here, here's how high I had my expectations. I joke when I say this. Here's how high I had my expectations of the offense. I thought we would get up to 88th. Dustin, that was my expectations. Yeah. 88th in total offense, which would be an improvement with our defense and special teams. I'm like, that's probably nine wins right there, okay? Great. I still think I'm right. I think if we had the 88th, ranked offense, we'd yes. easily be 2-0, and which is kind of like what you talked about before, and we would still be looking good. But, like, we're not just last. We are last with a gigantic gap between us, the 131st-ranked offense, and the 130th-ranked offense. It's it's mind-boggling. Something has got to change. we got to get guys yeah. back. I don't see it happening with Petrus in there unless he – gets rid of the yips. It, it, it is a yippy situation. Um, yeah. But, but with me seeing that Petrus is starting this week, I, I got, I got no choice, but to pre pre predict what I think I would see 
which is Iowa's offense struggling to move the ball on anybody. I know how bad Nevada's defense is. I'm aware. But when you pack eight guys in the box, it's eight guys in the box. When there is no threat of the pass coming behind you with our passing attack in Petrus, that's just what defense is going to do. I've got Iowa 19, Nevada 13. That's that's wow. 32 points. That's a Nevada cover. And I'm not saying, and I'm picking Iowa to win. Don't get me wrong, but if you put some money on the money line in this game, I wouldn't think you were crazy. So I saw that 23-point spread and in another podcast. I said, if Iowa covers a 23-point spread, I will do that next podcast, which goes out on YouTube. I will do that podcast shirtless. So, <laughs> ladies... <laughs> Uh, I have all the faith in the world. I'll be keeping my shirt on for that podcast. I do have Iowa winning 20 to six. So that's still a Nevada cover. And that is 26 points, two touchdowns under that 39.5. That uh, is fantastic. Okay. So to be clear, Iowa has to cover the 23 for you to go shirtless. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. That is, and I told, I, I said, now watch, I was going to have four defensive touchdowns, a block punt return for a touchdown. And <laughs> End up That's what it would take. Somehow. That's what it would take. You should have been specific that it had to come from the Iowa offense. Then I would feel very good that you would have all your clothes on for that podcast. All right, moving further into the evening. This is a uh, 6.30 p.m. game on FS1. Another sneaky good game here, by the way, I'd like yes. to point out. The 2-0 SMU Mustangs at the 2-0 Maryland Terrapins. Line Terps by three and a half. All right, at home, okay. Over under 73. So Vegas is saying 38 to 35 Terps. So I'm not sure how good Maryland is right now. Um, I think they're a little bit deeper than I expected them to be on, on defense, excuse me, after seeing a lot of those star linebackers hit the transfer portal in the offseason. So I think they're getting better on that side of the ball. Talia struggled in that opener. He played a lot better uh, last week against Charlotte, uh, but that was against a putrid Charlotte team. So I this is the reason this game is so good is because I have no idea what to expect because Maryland has played really, I mean, both teams have played really nobody. They put up a lot of points. Their defenses have been okay. Um, for me, it, it I SMU has some playmakers in, yep. in uh, Rashid Rice and, and Jordan Curley. They, we're going to find out how good Maryland's defense is because SMU can move the ball down the field. Yeah. Um, I mean, they destroyed the mean green, 48 to 10. I mean, that's a yep. that's an FBS program right there. Now, they're struggling this year. Don't get me wrong. Destroyed Lamar, 45 to 6. But that's 48 and 45 points. Uh, quarter, quarterback Tanner Mordecai uh, has looked really good this year. Yeah. Wake up the ghost of of Craig James. They got a white running back that's pretty good. That's always incredible to see at, at this level of football. <laughs> so the Mustangs, I think, can put up some points. All right, with the Terps, yes. I, also with with Ohio State. Like, there's a correlation thing going on here between the Buckeyes and the Mustang or uh, the Terps. Like, we thought it was going to be you know all gas and and no breaks, but this this is a more well rounded football team. Yep. Than people realize. So this is also, this is not your slightly older brothers, Maryland Terrapins. I, I do think this is a more complimentary team, which again, this is a compliment. I think that means Maryland is a pretty good team. It would be interesting because it, it just feels like we don't see a lot of close Maryland wins, you know, like no, 
it, it, it seems to be a blowout one way or the other. I think even the best Terp fan would own up to that. I'm not saying every single game, but a large majority of their games are, are well decided uh, in the fourth quarter at some point. I think it would be pretty cool to see a close game. Vegas thinks this is going to be a close game. Okay. Pretty curious. I'll let you go first. What do you, what do you think you're going to get here from final score? Yeah. So I've got SMU going into college park and winning 42, 37 over the Terps. So that is obviously an SMU cover and at 79, that is a healthy over. Wow. I thought for sure we were going to see the same game here. Okay. I, I just don't see that. Okay. Um, Go ahead. I was just going to – you read your score and I'll tell you what my thought process is. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give my thought. I, I kind of already gave it, but basically I, I think this is a better defensive team. Uh, the tackling could be better, okay? There's a little bust here and there. But overall, athletic defense that swarms to the ball. That's a long trip for SMU to make over yeah. to Maryland for that night game. So I feel like there's a lot of intangibles. I think this is a game that Locks wants to win to prove to people. So I think it's going to be a closer, good, Big Ten style type of game. I've got Maryland 35, SMU 30. So at 65 points, that's that's eight points under the, the, the game total. I almost made this my Amador double barrel lock of the week, this under. So basically the over-under is right in between what we're predicting. Here yes, yes. Scores. I'm a touchdown so, under, you're a touchdown over. My thought process in this is I don't recall – a Mike Loxley defense that has played well against a good offense. And I, I do think Maryland's defense is better, but it's kind of, I have to believe it or I have to see it to believe it. And yeah. I haven't seen it yet. And I think SMU, I, like I said, I think SMU with, with Mordecai back there, they've got some really good receivers. They've got a solid rushing game. I think that they're going to be able to move the ball. And I think we're going to see Maryland's defense get exposed a little bit. I just don't have the faith in a Mike Loxley defense, at least not yet. And I got a little bit more faith than you do because of the change yes. of defensive coordinator late last year. I think it's something Locks agreed with you on, and I think it looks a little bit better. All right, we got two games left. We got some. We got two bangers that we are ending on here. I love this next game. The yes. 2-0, number 11, Michigan State Spartans, going all the way across the country to take on the somewhat surprising, looking hot, 2-0 Washington Huskies, this is a 6.30 p.m. game on ABC line. Huskies by three and a half. This was a four or five point Michigan State favor in August. This has, and, and Michigan State is 2-0 and with two blowout wins, yet is still a three and a half point dog. You got to love college football. Over under 56 and a half. So Vegas is saying 30 to 27 Huskies. Ton of fun stuff here. What are we looking at, Diaz? Oh, boy. I was going through this, and I swear, I flip-flopped my, my score, my winner, yes. probably like eight times because yep. I just kept going through different numbers, watching some game – not film, but going through the recordings, watching a little bit of both teams. And these teams really have strengths where the others don't. So, first of all, on the Washington side, I'm really impressed that Kalen DeBoer has gotten Michael – Penix, and I'm really happy for Michael Penix because I think he is a good kid, that he's having some success early. He seems to have a much better offensive line than he had at Indiana. He's throwing the ball around. Um, when the Penix is out and loose, everybody wins. <laughs> well, yeah. I got to get a shirt that says, ask me about my Penix now that he's back in, on, the, on the football field. But he leads, he 
He's the Pac-12 in passing, 70% completion rate, six touchdowns. And on the other side, Peyton Thorne hasn't been awful, but unimpressive, I would label it. I, if this gets to be a shootout, I'm a little concerned about where Michigan State stands in the passing attack. The one thing that I like about this game in Michigan State's favor, though, is they're leading the nation in sacks. And if they can beat Washington off the ball, Washington's offensive line off the ball, Michael Penix is not great, is not very mobile. He seems to have a really quick trigger when he's under pressure. They can create some turnovers in this game. I yeah. like Michigan's. I like. I really like Michigan's. De- Michigan State's defensive line against Washington's offensive line in this one. There you go. Um, I mean, a guy to look for is Jacoby Winman with Michigan State. That we should have mentioned him on the last yes. podcast. He has been all over the place. I mean, definitely the you know the front runner for the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year so far this year. Um, that sack specialist that Michigan State has on staff. I mean, they they brought a coach in. They got a coach's spot for that sack specialist. You got to say that guy is doing his job right now after getting to the quarterback so much last year, they're getting to him again this year. The thing that makes me a little bit nervous with the defense for Michigan state is they've lost some dudes, you know, dude at linebacker dude in the defensive backfield. Is this the game where the lack of dudeness in that back seven catches up with them? Because like you said, Penix has been incredible. I mean, You know, like what got did to him was dirty, you know, his last year in Indiana behind that offensive line with that offensive coordinator. He's happy. He's healthy. I mean, remember, folks, this was a this was a Penix uh, that put up huge numbers on Ohio State in that shootout. If you can remember it, I mean, this is going to be a fun game to watch. You've already kind of hit on some of that stuff. So switching the other side, Michigan State's rushing attack. It's it's got to be here. It's it's yes. got to be here in this game, and I think it will be. I, I think it's a better rushing attack than I thought it was going to be, and that many people thought it was going to be. So that'll be the the number one goal for William Inge, who is uh, Washington's defensive coordinator. I played with him uh, uh, at Iowa. Oh great, yeah, great dude. Um, so it used to be at Indiana, I believe. Um, yes. So that that is the matchup is is can that Washington defense who has not had, you know, the the a strong rushing attack come at them with the two games they played so far. Can they shut down that Michigan State offense or a rushing attack? Because something's wrong. Something's up with with Peyton Thorne. You know, I'm not saying he, the yeah. kid can't figure it out, um, but eventually, even if your rushing attack is doing well. He's gonna have to make some plays in this game. Right. That's that's just how it goes. I'm all over the board because there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about, but that's that's probably the biggest the, biggest stuff to pull out right there. I think so too. The other thing is, I we still don't know about Jaden Reed, right? He what he left the game last week with an injury. Mel Tucker, I think, has been pretty mum. I don't think he's revealed whether he's gonna play or not. If he's not on the field, I think that makes Peyton Thorne even less comfortable. He's got some. He does have some. Uh, some targets in Keon Coleman and Trey Mosley, but I think that he's most comfortable when Jaden Reed's on the field. So that adds to that adds to the level. But I, I agree with you. You got to be able to run the football, and maybe if they if they're able to do that effectively, that opens up the play action. It makes it allows Peyton Thorne to take a little bit more of his time. I just wasn't that game against Akron. He did not throw the ball well, and that's not a good Akron team. So that's I have some serious concerns about their passing game heading into Seattle. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, the thing I'd be worried about is if the Penix is upright, he can be dangerous. Uh, so just keep 
that in mind uh, in this one. I flip flop. Gotta get your hands on the Penix. Gotta get your hands <laughs> on the Penix. <laughs> you gotta take the Penix down. Um, it, it's almost eighth grade humor is the best see. humor. It's just that it's just almost that, it's as just good as the, Hey, we gotta we don't have any more CLT jokes, so we gotta we gotta get back to this. We gotta, right? we gotta move on for that one, yeah. <laughs> um, so I have I do have Michigan State winning 32-27 over Washington and that's obviously an MSU cover and at 55 or 59 excuse me that is an over wow okay after all that that setup you're you're going you're going Michigan State tuck coming okay can see it can see it don't get me wrong anything is on the table here for what happens uh uh in Washington by the way I would love to go sailgating sometime I'm if you gave me my top three places to tailgate that I haven't been to, obviously. This is definitely in the top three, if not number one. So hopefully there's a lot of Sparty fans going out west to check it out. In the end, there's just more to like about Washington, I feel yeah. like, for the intangibles. Um, the one thing is, for your prediction, is if Michigan State goes out there and just bullies them. So, so I can right. see that. Like At one point, that's what I had in my mind. Michigan State goes out and bullies them. But I can't get past this. Concerns with Peyton Thorne, wacky West Coast game, all of that stuff seems to favor Washington. So I've got Washington 38, Michigan State 31. So that's a Washington cover. And at 69 points, that is well over the 56 and a half. Just one more point I want to make is the other thing that weighed into my decision making is I can't get over last year it seemed like Michigan state was an underdog all the time. They, even when they played terribly, they found a way to win. I feel like this might be a game where you look up and it's 27 to 13 Washington. And then all of a sudden Michigan state just channels it. They start pulling hair, fighting, whatever it takes to win a game. I that's stuck in my mind, just like Nebraska with the one score losses, Michigan state found a way to win those games. That's, that's what I think you might see in this one. I think that is excellent excellent thing to break down there and again that none of that would surprise me whatsoever all of those scenarios we throw out just more of a reason to check tune into that game all right now let's go to the big 10 game of the week as voted on by the fans thanks to the 458 people that voted on my poll that i put out there we're going back to the afternoon the 2-0 number 22 ranked penn state nittany lions Going down to SEC country to take on the 2-0 Auburn Tigers. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on CBS. Line, Penn State Nittany Lions by three. Over under 47 and a half. So Vegas is saying something like a 24-21 to 21 game. DS, what you're looking at here? Well, uh, you guys mentioned it in the... Uh recap podcast i liked what we saw to nick singleton i think maybe we found a little bit of life not convinced it's going to be permanent but at least a little bit of life from the run game for penn state we didn't see that at all last year uh but to me this is i have in my notes on this one uh sean clifford cannot have a sean clifford light game you can't do that on the road this early in the season against an auburn team play mistake free football take what the defense gives you because I think overall Penn State has more talent, more experience. They've got a better – Auburn's quarterback, T.J. Finley, has been horrendous through the first couple games. If you just play smart football, I think Penn State is going to put itself in the catbird seat. 
you hit on something perfectly. I mean, I would love to be in the meeting room with Penn State this week because I'm pretty sure they're saying exactly what you said. Like, Sean, just play your game here. You know, like play your game, make the available throws, and we're going to be fine. Um, Sean Clifford is Sean Clifford, though. Okay. Like, yes, we know what he is. You know, like, don't get me wrong. There's certainly games where he looks cleaner than others. Okay. So I don't want to make it sound like every game is just a gigantic sporadic mess, but there's some sporadic miss, you know, that's going to be in this game. We're going to get that. We're going to get a Clifford interception that's going to, that's going to kill a Penn State chance to put the game away something like that you know like right. going in for a three score lead he throws a pick or something like that that's i expect that to happen i also expect penn state to bounce back from it because they have learned to bounce back from it o- o- over you know for the most part over the years nick singleton i'm sold man i i saw it in the first game versus purdue I saw it even more last week. Not a great opponent, but not horrible defensively. Like those guys were coming up and swarming. Nick Singleton just ran past them. I think he is a superstar, man. And maybe it's my old school, you know, Big Tenness where I want to see a dominant Penn State rushing attack, but I've seen enough. I I think he he is special and I think he's going to have a good game. And, and looking forward to showing the nation how good he is on Saturday afternoon. I, I mean, there's no doubt this can be his breakout game. Like, I think he he played really well against Ohio. I think we've talked about this, too. Like, I think that Penn State-Purdue game, I, we all thought that they would be able to run the ball against Purdue because that's what you do against Purdue. That's what good offenses do. But I think Purdue's defense is a little bit better than we gave them credit for coming into the season. So I do want to see more out of that run game. I think – I don't know. I just get the the vision that that James Franklin doesn't want to have to make, have to put the game on Sean Clifford's shoulders and force him to um, make a lot of plays. I think this is going to be kind of a grounded out. I do short throws. Agreed. Incorporate the tight ends. Um, just move the ball methodically down the field. Give Auburn Clifford as, as Clifford running the possible. ball. I think yes. Clifford will, will grab the ball and run it quite a bit. I'm I'm on the same page with you here. Yeah, I think it's just limit the number of possessions, limit the turnovers, methodical drives, you know, 12, 13 play touchdown drives. If you get a field goal, that's okay as long as you didn't turn it over. That's the kind of game I'm seeing here. I'm just really interested to see you hit on it. I don't I'm not quite sold on Nick Singleton being the superstar just yet. I've got to see it against a big time opponent, but he definitely has the potential. It's to me it comes down to the offensive line. Okay. Um I think we'll still walk away from this game wondering what Nick Singleton looks like versus a big time <laughs> opponent point. because I don't think that's I don't think Auburn is. Um, they're fine. Don't get me wrong. This isn't this isn't you know a, a doggy doo doo team. Okay, this is a pretty right. good team. But the part that we hardly even talked about, I, I I just think it's a mismatch for Penn State's defense against this Auburn offense. You you talked yes. about how much T.J. Finley is struggling. They're struggling running the ball too. Everything's struggling on offense they're a dead man walking with brian harson like i I think there's going to be a little bit of lack of juice for this game for for the auburn crowd i i liked penn state at the beginning of the week i like them even more now when i dug deep into it but i think there's just going to be sputtering there's going to be sputtering and and chewing the bit 
on the Penn State uh, offense more than what it should have been. I think Penn State fans are going to walk away happy, but thinking they should have won the game by even more than they did. So I've got Penn State 27, Auburn 17, and at 44 points, I got it just under that game total. (laughs) So I have Penn State 26, Auburn 16. You're kidding me. So that is... uh, no, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> that is a uh, that's a Penn State cover, and then at 42 points, that is uh, pretty almost a touchdown under the 47 and a half. 26 to 16, and I've got 27 to 17. That's hilarious. I mean, it just it just I don't know where the points are going to come from for for, I, for Auburn. Like Auburn fans are not confident. Otherwise, you know, I we would know because we would see it nonstop. We would hear SEC, all over the SEC, place. all of that crap. I'm not seeing it that much because I no. think they, they are seeing what they're seeing in their own football team. And here's what I think is going to happen too. I think Penn State's going to come out of the gate hot, like 10 nothing, 13 nothing, and then it's just going to be slow. Like I don't think it's never going to be over, but you're never going to be worried about Penn State losing the game, if, if yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely. All right, uh, that's a full day of football, man. Um, I'll be I'll be excited for Big Ten play to start up here pretty soon. We're gonna cut the games about in half, basically. Um, I can't tell you how excited I am. I already said it uh, to be sitting down in my basement after battling people at Kinnick for the last two weeks. Uh, it's gonna be a great day of football, man. Um, anything else you want to add? Uh, I got nothing. All right, I am Jeffy the Greek. I'm not Big Kurt. <laughs> this has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. We will talk to you soon.